What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Many of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, which is my effort to find the most interesting people in the world and sit with them for hours while I ask questions in an effort to learn. So it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show on your favorite audio platform, watch episodes on YouTube, and tell your friends and family about the podcast. My goal is to help millions learn from the world's most interesting people. So let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is with Darius Dale, the founder and CEO of 42 Macro. In this conversation, we look at their weather model, what exactly it's telling us about stocks, bonds, commodities, and Bitcoin. We also get into global liquidity and why that is driving so much of asset price movements. And then we talk about inflation and politics. We're headed into an election season. And so how will that play into financial markets? Darius has all of this and more for us in today's episode. I hope that you enjoy it. Here is my conversation with Darius Dale. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This episode is brought to you by Freck. Historically, the wealthy had a hidden secret in investing. They would spend a lot of money and use very big teams to conduct tax loss harvesting. Tax loss harvesting is the timely selling of securities at a loss to offset the amount of capital gains tax owed from selling the profitable assets later. But now Freck is bringing this incredible advantage to any investor. They'll literally lower your tax bill, regardless of how much money you have. They use state-of-the-art technology through a product called direct indexing to allow investors to invest in the S&P 500 while getting all the benefits of tax loss harvesting without the big bill. If you want to learn more, go check them out at freck.com. That's F-R-E-C.com. I'm a big fan of the product, and I even became an investor in the business. Freck.com. Go check them out today. Today's episode is brought to you by Espresso, the maker of the world's thinnest portable display. Now listen up, if you're like me, you feel like you are at a command center when you sit down at your desk. I got a gazillion tabs open and different windows for different activities. There's my web browser, my text messages, I have Slack open, and I got a notes app. I normally work on a desktop and it can be very, very productive. But everything falls apart the second I leave my desk. If I'm traveling, if I go to a coffee shop to do some work, or just want to work from the kitchen table, my laptop doesn't have enough screen space. I lose my command center and my productivity falls off a cliff. It's a major problem, but this is where Espresso comes in. They have a portable screen that is so beautiful that you think Steve Jobs came back from the dead to create it. The thing is incredibly light. It comes with a nice stand and the user interface is so easy that I figured it out. How to do it in less than three minutes. If you listen to this podcast, you know that's not an easy feat. So the Espresso team and I, we became friends. I got to know them because I really like the product. And those screens, they now want to offer them to any fan of the podcast. So we struck a little deal. Here's how it works. Anyone who listens to this podcast can go to us.espres.so. Or that's too confusing. Just go click the link in the description. If you go to Espresso's website, they've got a brand new offer there sitting for you. You get a little discount and you'll get a beautiful screen. Trust me, I use mine every day. You'll love the Espresso screen, and I think it'll make you more productive. Go check them out today by clicking on the link in the description. All right, guys. Bang, bang. We've got Darius here. Darius, the macro weather model, you got a whole bunch of numbers. You got a bunch of colors, and it's telling us things are seeming to get better here, I think. What exactly is kind of the positioning of the portfolio today, and what is the weather model telling you? 
Yeah, 100%, Pomp. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on again. As always, pleasure to be with your audience. So, uh, yeah, we do numbers and, and colors here at 42 Macro. We don't do narratives. We're not great at that. Uh, but we are uh, great at the statistical analysis that it takes to stay on the right side of market risk. Uh, so what you're seeing here on this chart uh, is our macro weather model. Uh, we use this in conjunction with our fundamental research to determine how long the current top-down market regime is likely to persist. And if it's unlikely to persist uh, over the next three months, what's it likely to change into uh, based on these uh, weather model signals? So, uh, you know, we'll give you a quick rundown of what's happening uh, in the economy uh, today and how they're contributing to those composite signals uh, there uh, in the middle of the page there. Uh, so if you look at growth, we'll start with the real economy cycles on the left. Growth currently trending higher is expected by consensus to inflect and trend lower uh, GDP 170 basis points over the next 12 months. Headline inflation is trending lower is expected by consensus to uh, trend another 80 basis points lower over the next 12 months. Uh, if you look at unemployment rate, that's trending higher. It's expected by uh, Wall Street economists consensus to uh, to trend another 40 basis points higher over the next 12 months. Uh, the implied earnings sales growth rate for the S&P is trending higher uh, at 4.4%. <clears> <throat> the implied uh, next 12 month earnings growth rate for the S&P is trending higher at 8.2%. Uh, the sovereign fiscal balance is nominal GDP ratio. Uh, that number is trending higher at minus 6.3%. Uh, the dollar real effective exchange rate uh, broke down to a, a bearish trend this week. Uh, so now that's trending lower. Uh, transitioning to the financial economy cycles there on the right. Uh, if you look at liquidity, we have two models that we use uh, to, to derive liquidity here, uh, one for the U.S., one for global. Uh, the 42 macro net liquidity model, that's the very popular model. Uh, most people know that. That's um, that balance sheet minus the TGA and the RRP, that number is trending higher. Our global liquidity proxy, uh, not as popular, but a much better uh, model in terms of explaining dispersion across asset markets. Uh, that number uh, is the Fed, a global central bank balance sheet plus global broad money supply plus global FX reserves minus gold. That number is trending higher. If you look at domestic credit growth and broad credit growth globally, those numbers are trending lower. Uh, the benchmark policy rate is trending sideways here. Uh, the two-year nominal yield spreads, pricing and rate cuts are trending lower. Uh, that aggregated dollar positioning is uh, neutral. Aggregated positioning in the treasuries market is, is bearish. Aggregated positioning across all commodities is, is bearish. And aggregated positioning uh, in equities is, is bullish. Or sorry, is neutral. Sorry. So when you look at this, let's talk stock market first. Like, what are we expecting here? And the Fed obviously was going to cut. Now it seems like maybe they're not going to cut. There's this risk of inflation coming, raging back. How are you all looking at this? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that, that that I would say uh, the latter part with respect to inflation, uh, we use our fundamental research, our qualitative research to ascertain that. And we we have a series of models uh, and qualitative analysis uh, frameworks uh, that we use to understand whether where inflation is likely to head. Uh, it's our expectation that uh, inflation bottoms at an undoubtable level sometime in Q3 and will start to accelerate uh, in Q4. Uh, we don't believe markets have to price that in now, though. Uh, we do believe that their immaculate disinflation process uh, is ongoing as evidenced by uh, the, uh, the inflation component there on the left. Uh, so in terms of the stock market, uh, as you see there, the stock market signal is bullish alongside the bond market signal uh, and, and the Bitcoin signal there uh, at the bottom. Uh, in terms of how to interpret this this analysis, uh, which we refresh seven days a week or six days a week for our clients here at 42 Macro, uh, the the analysis, the stock with the three month, it's a rolling three month outlook and a bullish signal or the or the green light uh, just merely indicates that an investor should expect above median returns relative to the baseline and below median volatility in the asset class relative to baseline. Uh, so that's obviously a great signal for 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 the for, for the stock market, for the bond market, and of course our friend Bitcoin, which doesn't seem to have down days anymore. So when you see uh, these assets that are all seeming to go up here, if we look at the composite models, what are you seeing in those models? 
Yeah. So the composite models indicate. So we're currently in a Goldilocks market regime, right? And and having a uh, an expect a statistically derived expectation of better than normal returns in the stock market, uh, below volatility in the stock market, better than normal returns in the bond market, below volatility, below the normal, uh, lower than normal volatility in the bond market, and then better than uh, normal returns in Bitcoin, and then lower than expected volatility in that asset class. Uh, those are all things. Uh, that should contribute to supporting uh, the expectation or, or sustaining this Goldilocks regime that we're currently in. You know, recall that we pivoted uh, back to Goldilocks back in November. Uh, we had a cup of coffee and inflation last week as the market was trying to uh, assess the probability of inflation bottoming sooner than our Q3 expectation. Uh, but ultimately, we pivoted back to Goldilocks, the, the global macro risk matrix did. Uh, and and that, that, that signal is being confirmed and supported by these rolling three-month forward outlooks. Right now, it's effectively saying that it's still a fantastic time uh, to take risk, which is something I said on this program uh, going back to November. And so global liquidity, uh, I know you guys have this great measurement of it. It feels like the U.S. is trying to stay as tight as possibly can. China, though, is still acting a fool and uh, now threatening $2 trillion. What's going on there? Yeah, no, China's been one of the dominant drivers of, of the global liquidity, of uh, the uptrend in global liquidity. And it's something we've been all over here uh, in our research for 42 Macro. Uh, in, in late December, or sorry, mid-December, uh, we authored a, a theme that that suggested that China was going to front load policy support early in the calendar 2024 year. And that's exactly what we're seeing them do. <clears throat> They're doing it through a variety of means. Uh, we're seeing them, you know, lower triple uh, R uh, or lower reserve facility, uh, or sorry, not the reserve facility, <laughs> lower their uh, reserve requirement ratio, which is unleashed uh, several hundred billion dollars into the Chinese financial sector. Uh, we've seen them uh, increase their pledge supplemental lending. We've seen them cut uh, medium-term lending rates, open market um, uh, seven-day repo rates. Uh, we've seen them cut their loan prime rates. All these things are adding uh, to the liquidity uh, that we're seeing in the Chinese economy and the uh, Chinese liquidity impulse. Uh, that has been sustainably positive, uh, and it's also contributing to the positive global liquidity impulse. It's not the only contributing factor. We have some very positive uh, things going on from the perspective of uh, the global private sector and their uh, liquidity creation uh, activity as well. So it's just been a uh, fanta- fantastic time to be an investor. Uh, you know, hopefully if investors aren't missing this stuff, but you know, this is one of the reasons we uh, refresh all of our systematic uh, quantitative tools here at 42 Macro six days a week for our clients is so that when things do inflect, we can spot it in real time and reposition our portfolios before the rest of the investors, uh, you know, kind of come around to, to 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 that analysis. What do you think most people are missing in the market right now? Missing uh, just the sustainability of of, of the good times, uh, you know. So we wrote a note this morning in our late off morning note uh, about how you know the it's very likely that we we could observe this through our positioning model, but you know for the most of the bull run that we've seen over the past year or so, we you know it's very clear to see that the average investor, whether they be buy side, whether they be sell side, whether they be investment advisor, whether they be retail, has not participated in the upside nearly as much as they t- traditionally would have in such a raging bull market. So in our expectation. Uh, is that they're, they're going to have to continue playing catch up over the medium term. Uh, now, you know, ultimately, we're going to find the, the top in a lot of these assets. We're going to find the top in the equity market. We may find a, 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 you know, a temporary top in Bitcoin, you know, early in the halving cycle. But again, you know, it's not our job to, you know, forecast the exact dates of those tops. It's our job to refresh the quantitative risk management systems and the econometric models that uh, we use here at 42 Macro to actually help investors proactively prepare and position for those tops and ultimately reposition their portfolios uh, when the tops are occurring. You know, again, we want to be, it's, it's our job, you know, we consider ourselves 
as macro risk managers here at 42 Macro, uh, our number one job is to help investors maximize upside capture in bull markets and minimize downside capture in bear markets. Everything else in terms of, you know, generating uh, research insights and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's fine. It's great to know where, you know, what the Chinese property market is doing so we can project where liquidity is doing and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, if we're not helping our clients make and save money, we're not doing our job right. Let's talk about Bitcoin more specifically. Uh, you've got the composite signal here. What, what is this showing us? And then how do you think things like the halving will play into it? Yeah, 100%. So yeah, if you're looking at this chart, the Bitcoin composite signal there, uh, where we show the evolution uh, of the Bitcoin composite signals over time uh, since, the, since the advent of this asset class and uh, the green corresponds to the blue bullish uh, uh, composite signals, the neutral, the, the orange corresponds to the neutral and the red corresponds to the bearish. And what you see uh, there in the chart is that by understanding the principal components of macro, particularly the trends in the principal components of macro that we uh, went through at the beginning of this uh, discussion, if you can sort of, uh, if you can build a, a good enough tool that allows you to project the excess returns that we're talking about in terms of that bullish current bullish composite signal, you can see how it evolves over time. And all the big crypto run-ups, the big bull runs that we've seen in Bitcoin have historically come when the weather model signal has been bullish. And the big drawdowns in Bitcoin, the big crypto winners have occurred when the weather model signal for Bitcoin is bearish. You know, it's not to say that every time Bitcoin goes up, it's in a bullish, uh, the, the macro weather for the asset class is bullish, or every time Bitcoin goes down, the macro weather for the asset class uh, is bearish. But generally speaking, you're going to keep yourself on the right side of crypto market risk uh, if you are abide, abiding by and obeying these uh, these composite signals here in our macro weather model, uh, which are uh, just as important as our uh, global macro risk matrix, which determines the market regime. Again, we've, we're in a Goldilocks market regime. We should be seeing Bitcoin go vertical because that's the kind of activity you tend to see uh, in a Goldilocks market regime. If you don't have an ability to understand what market regime we're in, we highly suggest uh, that you partner with someone that does. How about the ETFs? What are you hearing from clients and what's the impact of those been? Yeah, that's something we were talking from clients, talking to clients about yesterday. Uh, uh, so uh, we're starting to see Bitcoin uh, uh, added to these uh, traditional uh, TradFi uh, portfolios this, uh, <laughs> over the past few weeks or so. Uh, and that's something we, you know, we, we consider ourselves the, the foremost authority in the world in terms of helping investors risk manage Bitcoin in the context of a traditional multi-asset portfolio. And we're now starting to see ETFs uh, out there uh, with those uh, with those same characteristics, but what those ETFs lack, in my opinion, and what's going to get investors really really hurt in the in 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 the future uh, is the fact that those ETFs don't have uh, our our risk management overlays that we feature in our KISPER portfolio construction process. Uh, you and I talked about our uh, impact our KISPER portfolio construction process uh, in December. I'll tweet that out for those who may have missed that uh, discussion. Uh, but one of the um, you know just just throw some summary statistics out there for you. You know if you uh, if you run our 60-30-10 spy ag Bitcoin strategy uh it's a trend following strategy you know the average annual return for that strategy is about 13 percent uh, and the max drawdown for that strategy is minus 11 percent if you run that same 60 30 10 uh, strategy without our quantitative risk management overlays whether they be through the weather model or through the volatility just a momentum signal for each asset class you're talking about a, the same average annual return thereabouts but you're talking about a max drawdown of minus 26 percent which is more than double the max drawdown of kiss and more importantly you've crashed three times over the life of that out of sample back test which begins in january uh, uh 2018 so um what investors don't realize particularly the traditional wall street investors who are coming over and just now getting 
allocated to Bitcoin and just now putting Bitcoin in a traditional multi-asset portfolio, they're not going to be ready to risk manage uh, the wild rides and the wild swings that this asset class uh, has historically had uh, in a way that protects their broader uh, retirement account, their clients' broader retirement accounts. Uh, so I'm, I'm really hoping and praying that uh, you know investors are, are, are you know don't have to go through the fire of the crypto winter and seeing how that impacts their retirement savings. Uh, you know, as a traditional a TradFi investor, uh, with you know, hopefully they can you know hear this and find our Kismet flow construction process and as a better, much better mousetrap in terms of incorporating uh, Bitcoin into a traditional multi-asset portfolio. You've got these two charts on liquidity. Walk us through them. Yeah, so these are the two of the. Uh, so as I mentioned, uh, liquidity is a uh, component feature. Uh, these are two of the component features of that macro weather model, uh, forty-two macro net liquidity, the global liquidity proxy. We're just showing the time series uh, over time to give investors a sense of uh, of how they how they progress uh, throughout history and and ultimately how those um how they contribute to uh, to the different asset classes. As you can see, when liquidity is rising by the back test there on the bottom of the of both charts, when liquidity is rising, you have positive excess returns uh, in in stocks and Bitcoin, and and when liquidity is falling, you have negative excess returns uh, in, uh, in stocks of Bitcoin. So uh, it's just uh, just helping investors kind of contextualize how each of these principal components of macro correspond to each of those asset class on an independent basis. And then we summarize that across all the, the, the 20 features that we show back on, on slide one. Uh, and, and each of those features contributes independently to those composite signals. So it's a very fluid, very dynamic, stochastic process. And in our opinion, it's the kind of analysis you need to do to make it save money on a consistent basis uh, in this in this post-COVID uh, high fiscal monetary largesse above trend nominal GDP world that we're living in, uh, where a lot of the traditional uh, kind of metric tools have, have kind of died, in my opinion, and, and no longer really work. What is the thing that going through this year you're paying attention to that you're like, this will be a signal that tells us whether capital is on sides or off sides? I think that there's a lot of people who said, hey, these rate cuts, they're positioned for that. But are there other things that you're really paying attention to? Yeah, hundred percent. The number one thing I'm I'm waiting for or watching this year is is the evolution of productivity growth because the productivity growth is the missing ingredient uh, to a soft landing or no landing in economy versus a hard landing in the economy or one that is perpetuated by the Fed having to uh, perpetuate uh, rate hikes. Uh, recall that productivity growth is is currently tracking above trend, and that's really positive because historically, in order to have a soft landing, you need uh, two things to occur. Uh, really, three two two of these three things to occur. You need above trend productivity growth. You need the Fed to pivot to rate cuts, and you need uh, above trend fiscal spending growth. Uh, right now, we currently have you know two and a half of those three, and so that's obviously a really a really positive uh, setup. You know, the reason productivity is such a, is a missing ingredient, such an important uh, feature of this uh, of this bull market, is because you know what product what high productivity allows high productivity growth allows the economy to do it through the lens of the corporate sector it takes pressure off of them from in terms of having to push through price increases to consumers because it takes pressure off their margins and it also takes pressure off of them from the margin perspective in terms of having to fire people so high productivity lowers the probability that we see a firing cycle higher productivity lowers the probability that we see accelerating inflation if productivity uh, started to go back to where it had been over the past couple of years which is negative and deeply negative uh they were going to have problems and so uh, we have our eyes very much glued on on the this upcoming series of, of productivity and productivity related data points uh the, because to me that 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 in our opinion was part of the reason we started we pumped into a Goldilocks regime in November we got the Q3 productivity data in late October uh, in our opinion and if we if we see a, a negative um a development uh, in in this um in this segment of the economy then we're going to go back into a, a bearish market regime I don't want to open a can of worms but all that's going on oh. right okay that's where we are now 
I look on the horizon. I see uh, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, they'll be facing off in November at uh, this election. The Fed says, hey, we're not political. Uh, the closer they get to making cuts or not making cuts to an election, the more political the accusations are going to be. And so how do we think about the political kind of um, you know uh, season, the election, all that playing into the economy? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so first we have to ask the question, is the Fed even going to be cutting rates? And, and our expectation is that they may be one and done. Um, if they can get it done in, in May or June, because uh, we do expect immaculate disinflation to persist uh, into the second half of the year. So they may be able to get it one or two done between May and June. But as I mentioned, our inflation models are suggesting that inflation is likely to bottom sometime in Q3. And so as we get into the second half of the year, anticipating cuts in and around the election, I want to say there's a uh, meeting in September, and then there's a meeting in uh, right right after the election on the 7th, and then there's a meeting in, the, in, in, in mid-December. You know, irrespective of the election, they may not be able to have political cover to cut anyway because inflation is no longer uh, the inflation dynamics are no longer supporting them. So to me, it's more about following the evolution of the economy and inflation relative, not not necessarily focusing on the election, because, again, I think the election is a secondary component. Now, if we told me that inflation was going to persistently trend lower throughout the second half of the year and into 2025, then I would expect them to uh, continue cutting irrespective of the 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 the, um, the election. We've seen the Fed be very active uh, in in, in uh, election years, you know, just, uh, just going back. You know, obviously, they were extremely active in 2020. You know, that's the most active they've probably ever been in terms of the alphabet soup of liquidity that they threw at markets uh, during COVID. Uh, if you go back to 2018, uh, they were hiking interest rates, uh, caused a market crash in 2018. You go back to 2016, uh, that was the Shanghai Accord uh, where the Janet Yellen backed off uh, in terms of um, in terms of easing uh, of U.S. Uh, fiscal liquidity policy. You go back to 2012. That's when they launched QE3 uh, in 2012. Uh, you go back to uh, 2010. Uh, that's when QE uh, one stopped and caused a pretty sharp start, start uh, drawdown in the asset markets. I mean, you go back to 2008. Obviously, they took rates to zero uh, in 2008 and, and, and introduced QE one. So you know, the Fed has been active in every general election, whether they be midterm or presidential. You know, <laughs> since you know 2008 and perhaps uh, even prior prior to that. So in, in my opinion, we think the Fed is much more responsive to dynamics in the economy than the political cycle. Where can we send people to find you on the internet? Uh, if they can't find me, uh, they need to turn their lights switch on. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're at uh, we're at summit42macro.com. Come check us out. Uh, you know, because I mentioned we refresh uh, all of our quantitative risk management systems for our uh, clients, both uh, across the institutional uh, investor world. We have plenty of retail clients. We have plenty of re- our investment advisor clients. The reality is, if you are the kind of investor that wants to stay on the right side of market risk i.e. you're not this sort of long-term investor that's okay with wearing a 50 to 70, 80% drawdown for multiple years at a time, or you're you're not someone who's so convicted in a bearish, bear porn thesis that you need to get squeezed all the way to the high heavens, then if you're, if you're not those people and you prefer to make and save money along the way, uh, then come check us out at 42macro.com. You can find me on Twitter, uh, DariusDale42. I think it's Deion Sanders that says, I ain't hard to find. Ain't hard to find, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you very much. We'll do it again in the future. Cheers, brother. See you, man.